May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So kids, normally I would ask you to come up, but I, I can't sit down, so I'm just going to walk around. So today is the Feast of the Transfiguration, capital T, Transfiguration. And when that word is used with a capital T, it means it refers to the event that I just read. It refers to Jesus being up on the mountain with some of the disciples and them witnessing his transfiguration. We're told that his dusty old cloak that he probably was normally wearing turned bright white, like a heavenly garment. And his face, their friend who they were used to seeing, his face was glowing like the way Moses' face glowed in the Exodus reading. He was transfigured, transformed in a way that they didn't quite know what they were seeing. The text is interesting, though, because it doesn't tell us what, re- what Peter and John and James' reaction to seeing Jesus that way was. They seem to be a little bit more interested in why Moses and Elijah are there, right? So Moses and Elijah are there because this is a story about God revealing Jesus' true identity. God revealed in this moment on the mountain to those disciples and to the world and to us the true identity of Jesus. And interestingly, Jesus' true identity involves and includes Moses and Elijah. So Moses is the representative of the law, right? All the stories from what we call the Old Testament, the law are included in Jesus' identity. And Elijah represents the words of the prophets, also included in Jesus' identity. So lest you have ever gone down that heretical road of Old Testament God, New Testament God, this is the story that tells you that's not the case. Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is God, and has been God from the beginning. It includes all of those things. So that's the theological part of the sermon. I'll put the book down now. Reading this text this year got me very interested in the question of how do we know about our identity? In this story, we're told that Moses and Elijah are part of Jesus' identity. So I started thinking about what people, what events, what things are part of my identity. So a little self-deprecating story here. A couple of weeks ago, I was in California, and on a Sunday morning, while you all were here, I ran a 5K. Does not look like the body of a person, right, who could successfully run a 5K. I did it. And I'm pretty sure when I crossed the finish line, My face was glowing. All my friends had finished way before me, so I was alone in a crowd of other slowpokes. But I was jumping up and down and cheering my heart out. I was so transfigured and transformed that I had done it. And it turns out that in that moment, 
there were two other people with me. There was 32-year-old, way thinner in way better shape, Nancy. She was there. And there was even sort of depressed, isolated, pandemic Nancy. She was there, too. And so I was in conversation with those Nancy in that moment, right? Because they're part of my identity. They're part of my identity. But the trick about this lesson is to remember what happens when Peter says, oh, let's build a shrine. Let's build a shrine for Moses and Elijah and for Jesus here up on the mountain. Build a little hut. Let's contain all this glory up here on this mountain where everything's just fabulous, fabulous. We don't understand it, but it's fabulous. Let's make shrines. So I thought, I can't make a shrine for 32-year-old Nancy. She's gone. And I really don't want to make a shrine for sort of depressed, isolated, pandemic Nancy. But she's part of me, too. So at the end of the text, right, we're told they see Jesus standing by himself. All those, the Moses and Elijah are gone. When I walked back to my Airbnb, 32-year-old Nancy was gone, 62-year-old Nancy's back hurt. You know, we're formed by people, earlier versions of ourselves, hopes that we live, disappointments that we have, those are all part of our identity. So I wonder, I invite you this week to think about who are those people and who are those events for you? And then to really press yourself and say, how tempted am I to build a little shrine, a little hut, a little container for those people? Maybe I'm stuck there in one of those little containers. It's an interesting question, right, to think about. So, if it's true for individuals, it's true for this living body as well, right? Trinity Church. I had the opportunity over the last couple of days to have conversation with Pietro Bellucci the architect of this beautiful building, with Pepish, the designer of that beautiful window, with Al Ehrenfried of Blessed Memory, who knew those two and who was very involved in how this all came to be and looks the way it looks now. And those three people and many, many more are part of the identity of Trinity, right? I also had... For some reason, Amal from Amal in the Night Visitors was present this week as well. You know, back in the day when the Sunday school rooms were overflowing, kids would come and rehearse a play and put on a big cancel drama here. It was a different world. There were no cell phones. There was no social media. People didn't do sports in every single season. It's a different time. But one of my fears is, have we made shrines around those kinds of things, that we tried to contain them in little boxes as part of our identity. 
because they are part of our identity as Trinity Church. And after the cloud, after God has declared that Jesus is the beloved and told all of us to listen to him and to follow him, all those excess people are gone. And we're left in the present moment. And we're left in the present moment to walk back down the mountain. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of the reading for today, it says, eight days after he said these things, they went up the mountain. What things? What did he say? Kind of an important part of the story, right? Luke puts it in there, eight days after he said these things, well, what did he say? Turns out, right eight days before, Jesus was talking to the disciples about how he was headed for Jerusalem, how he was going to be killed, and that in order to be a follower, you had to pick up your own cross and go with him into death in order to get to new life. Probably not a message they were eager to hear. So I think that's why the mountaintop story comes next. God needed to reveal to those disciples who Jesus really is. He is God. He's with us in mountaintop experiences. Silly one like finishing the 5K, the birth of your children, a wonderful accomplishment that you've come across, a beautiful new relationship. Anything you can name as a mountaintop experience, Jesus is there with you in that. He's there with you in that. And we all know that those experiences can't be grabbed. They can only be lived. So the good news, it's good that he's with us in those mountaintop experiences, but the better news is he's also with us as we walk back down. We walk back down the mountain into our real lives, our actual lives, that are filled with back problems and mobility issues and fear about our climate, worries about our children and their mental health. You can make the list, right? We all know what real life is like. But the promise of this, the promise, the good news is that Jesus is with us in that too. Perhaps especially in that. Because as he comes down the mountain in this story, he's headed to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us. So that our lives will be redeemed from sin and death. And we have the hope and promise of life without fear. Good news. 